Grumpy Old Geeks, episode 29, this week with a special guest and a studio audience. <laughs> <laughs> and a late start, and we're all in the booze again, apparently. Hell yeah. No, dude, I drove from Pennsylvania to Chicago today. I'm allowed to have a beer or six. Oh, fuck. It's finally like five o'clock here, so I've already had a beer and a half, maybe two. Uh, and I also, um, I don't know if you if you follow Grumpy Old Geeks on, on say, Facebook or Twitter, you would have saw in the photo of uh, the... The Jameson banana that I've been working on, and I, I took a little taste today. Not gonna lie, is it ready? Is it good to go? No, it needs to sit for another day or two. But it's already beautiful. This is gonna be an amazing thing. <laughs> or the death of you, one of the two. Or the death of me. I'm just gonna have to make sure that I only make it like once every six months. <laughs> so that's to become a seasonal drink because <laughs> it's gonna get, make you very seasoned very quick. <laughs> So, uh, I since I said I was driving to Chicago today, so I am coming to you live from Combustion Manor, home of uh, Mike Vinicor and the Punk Rock Vault and Game uh, Mecca. Uh, I'm very excited <laughs> about this. Uh, how was your drive, Jason? Is everything good? I'm, I'm fucking jealous that you're in Chicago. Amazing. <laughs> well, I'm not actually in Chicago. I'm in the suburbs, so that doesn't really count. Eh, well, close enough. Oh, the drive is boring as shit, man. Have you ever driven across Ohio and Indiana? Is no. It- the one time I did the cross-country drive, I went straight across the southeast. So the, I did like the two and a half days through Texas. Mm. But I've, I've never done the north. Uh, did you get uh, a potbelly sub yet? Nope. On, on the list. On the list. Yeah. Okay. Although my potbelly companion has given up on potbelly, so <laughs> I have to go by myself. What are you going to do? No, it was uh, it was a fine drive. It was flatter than a twelve year old girl. What are you gonna do? <laughs> uh, just nothing to see. Same same problem. <laughs> but I, I made it here. We're good to go. All right. So what's going on well, with you? Come on, uh, tell me something. Uh, I've had a super stupid busy week. Um, I would love to tell you stuff, but I can't because I'll probably get fired. So uh, yeah, good times. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Got any follow-up from last week? Because I do. Oh, uh, well, you launch into it. I have a couple things. But, okay. Uh, Re- remember when I talked about Chrome auto-updating and doing all that stupid shit? Yes. Well, it, it came up with a new update this week that put a notifications icon in my menu bar. Well, we don't like that. And there's no way to turn it off. I had to go hack Chrome to, to <laughs> figure out how to turn it off. So if you have a Mac or a PC, I think they probably did this on the PC, too, with these stupid notifications. Right. Uh Go to your URL or your browser bar, you know, your location, type in Chrome colon slash slash flags, and then do a search for notification or just notif. Notif will get you there and turn that shit off. Restart it and you're good to go. Excellent. Uh, There were were like hundreds of people pissing and moaning about it on the Chrome boards. So (laughs) because these auto updates are they're non-optional now. They do it regardless. So. See, and again, like I said last week, um, I'm still using Firefox until it doesn't work and then I have to switch to some other browser. Um, but I don't really feel like switching to Chrome anymore. Chrome is starting to scare the hell out of me. It's still faster. It's still better. It's still safer. Right. So it's just these, you know, Google pushing this shit on us for no good reason is getting annoying. Yeah. So, 
Well, I found a, I found a bit of a link on, on Huffington Post that was actually useful to me, which is shocking. And it didn't involve tits. <laughs> no side boob? No, no side boob whatsoever. I found a little article called The Very Best Hidden iOS 7 Features. And I didn't know a lot of this stuff. Uh, fantastic. Really good stuff. Um, we'll, we'll have the entire link in our show notes. But my favorite one, make your iPhone vibrate however you want. You can actually set the vibration pattern now yeah you didn't know that no i had no idea i just <laughs> found this out okay do you have it open can you can you list them down and i'll, I'll say yay or nay if i already knew them uh, we'll, yeah we'll, we'll play a game we'll play a number one game. make your iphone vibrate however you want yeah i already sold that one. okay Go ahead. well Come on. that's fantastic to me i've already done it okay two undo de- email delete with the shake yep you can undo anything undo command z or control z that's shake the phone I, I've actually never done that before. So yeah, it's been in iOS for years. Okay, okay next. Number, number three is super lame. Control your device by moving your head. What? Now you can control your iPad or iPhone with your head. Not your brain yet, but your head. <laughs> iOS 7 can use your front-facing camera to detect head movements. Okay, that's new. I didn't know that. <laughs> it's under accessibility switch control. Oh. So you can fuck around with that. I like going into other people's phones when they're not looking or taking a dump. And uh, you go into accessibility and invert the colors. And when they come back, everything's black, <laughs> black and orange. Right. <laughs> it's like Halloween. Hey, it's a good trick for Halloween. So, All right. Next. Number four, use your flashlight for alerts. Yep. Seen that. Okay. Number five, never miss the link your friends tweeted out. How so? Sa- Safari now syncs up with your Twitter feed to show you all the tweets in your stream with links in them. When you're in Safari, you go to the bottom of the window, hit the bookmarks button. And then press the at symbol to see all of your Twitter feeds recent links. Oh, how fucking lame is that? Yeah, it's kind of lame. I didn't like that <laughs> one either. And then they said that there were seven, and uh, the article cuts off after five. Hey, Huffington Post, way to cut corners. Hey, Huffington Post. Okay. Uh, wait, wait, wait to fuck up a <laughs> listicle. Anyways, I was just happy about creating the vibration pattern. I love that one. That's amazing. Yeah, you, don't you do like tap it? Do like a little tap, yeah, pattern, like a little drum tap, pad. Tap, 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 and then you can you can record custom vibrations. Awesome. There you go. So when my mom calls, I'll just have to type SOS, SOS, SOS. <laughs> exactly. So remember when I was talking before about never browse from an admin account? Like yeah. uh, set up your computer so you've got like a browse account and then your your straight up admin account. Yeah. Um. There's a new XKCD comic that uh, it's, it's it's pretty funny, but it's completely wrong. And somebody sent this to me, and it's like, okay, so on my user account, you can get to my Dropbox, my photos, Facebook, Gmail, PayPal, and my bank. Oh, but you can't install drivers because it's not an admin account, which, yeah, it's it's cute. It's funny, but it completely defeats the purpose of the whole point where you can just delete that user account if somebody hacks it. Instead of having your whole machine owned and having it sent off to repair, you know, and to some little nerd with zits on his ass trying to figure out how to get the malware off of there. That's the point of it. So if you've seen that one, what the hell? Did you just, <laughs> just drop something? Drop a deuce? Uh, I dropped uh, by my, my glass on the table. Sorry. Stay away from the Jameson, man. Stay away. I know. The banana Jameson's already getting... Crazy, yeah. This is good. Uh, the XKCD stuff is good. I mean, uh, we put up, I think, a far better one throughout the day, though, or throughout the week on the Grumpy Old Geeks page. The uh, security one. Yeah, I sent you that one. Yeah, you I sent got me that one. one. It's uh, 
you know, how people look at security and, and your data and your information being out there. And I have, I have come across to the side of the sage, which you have always been on the side of, which is basically... Yeah, I've been sitting there for a long yeah, time. Yeah, it's basically, <laughs> screw it, nobody cares. It's just data, it's not real. But my burrito is real. Yes, the burrito is real, Jason. So it was a fun one. We'll link it in the show notes, just in case you don't follow us on Facebook, which you should. But yes, that's that's about it for the news this week. I mean, besides the government not working and everything. Yeah, else. Well, we're still we're still in government shutdown, and doesn't seem to be ending anytime soon, and nobody seems to care. Um, yeah, that's about where we're at. Everything else is kind of boring. We've been recording for like twelve minutes, and Mike hasn't shit on me yet. I'm oh. waiting. Well, you guys, I was planning to be introduced. I didn't know I was supposed to be part of this first segment. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was waiting to introduce him, but Brian kept talking. So I, I was waiting to drop off a fucking. Yeah. <laughs> well, that is my gimmick name for you, Brian, is the fucking. <laughs> well, inter- by all means, let's, let's introduce before we uh, cut out. Okay. So I'm sitting here with Mike Vinicor, old friend and uh, game designer and photographer and writer and record mogul uh label producer everything i mean this guy's been around for doing shit forever yeah and it's weird because i've oh hello everybody it's (laughs) weird because like all these things i do they all kind of like intertwined upon each other and one kept leading to the next thing which is like i fell into this career literally by accident because i was at a punk rock show so that was so uh, so so of jason and i apparently oh yeah that's the way a lot of this worked yeah, I got I got into the video game industry in like 1994 because I was a huge video game geek growing up, and uh, one day I was at a I w- ironically I was at a Bull Weevil show, which is the band that Jason and I are going to see tomorrow, <laughs> um, and I saw some dude there wearing a Mortal Kombat shirt, and I was a huge Mortal Kombat fan, like it's all I cared about. And that's was, the game that has the ice guy, right? He yeah. could like shoot. I, yeah, I remember that one. I played that for a while, and I always played that guy. I was hardcore into that thing, so I ran up to this dude and I'm like, "Hey, where did you get that shirt? I want it." And he's like, oh, I work for Midway. And I just like completely floored. I'm like, no way. So then I talked his ear off and I said, hey, I'm really good at games. If you ever need a game tester, I would love to come in and, and work there. And he said, actually, I'm working on a game that's going to need one in a month or so. He's like, give me your number and I'll give you a call. And he actually did call me. And it turned out Jason already knew the dude. This guy's <laughs> name was Bill Dozer. And they knew each other from like some punk rock uh, underdog thing. Yeah, underdog records. Yeah, so it's like the small little world of like, you know, the, set, the six degrees of separation or whatever. And he brought me in there and Jason and I started there as game testers. And then when that game we were working on that you guys talked about last week was done, like they brought me back along with this other guy that worked on the first two Mortal Kombat games. And we were basically the first full-time testers they had. And That's we, crazy. And we were making serious money. Yeah, they paid really good, good money. Good money just to play games. Just to play games. They paid really good money <laughs> and they would feed us. So, so we were making like, what, 10 bucks an hour? 15 bucks an hour. It was 15, hour. okay. 15. 15 bucks an hour in 1994. That's like, you know, that's like CEO money to a guy <laughs> in his early 20s. Yeah, that's true. And, so, um, and the really cool part was because we had to to get to the video game part, you had to walk through the pinball assembly line, and we'd see all these old Mexican ladies putting together Star Trek pinball machines, which was like the coolest pinball machine in the world at that point. So, yeah, so they uh, the Aerosmith pinball. No, it was a well, the Aerosmith video game was. Uh, they never did a pinball one with Aerosmith, but that game Revolution X that was the oh, I'm sorry, it was Kiss pinball. Yeah, My there bad. was a Kiss pinball. <laughs> And um, 
So, like, after that game was done, then they brought me in back back with this other dude because we were, like, the two best Mortal Kombat players anywhere to, like, test the, the next Mortal Kombat game. And then I just kept lobbying for them to make us into full-time employees, and I basically started their test their uh, QA department. It was just two guys, me and this guy <laughs> named Eddie. And then from there, like, I worked that for until I got burnt out. Then I changed positions where I ran their field test program. And then when they shut down and stopped making coin-operated games... Then I, wa- I moved over to another company and started doing design for like on the console side, like for Xbox and PlayStation games. Right. So what was the first game you did on the Xbox? What the was first it? game I did was for the original Xbox, not the 360. It was called Tao Fang, and it was that a was fighting a, yeah. game. <laughs> and the company was started by some guys that worked at Midway with us that worked on the Mortal Kombat games, and they had quit and started their own studio. So it was John Tobias was the president of that company. He was one of the two creators of Mortal Kombat. He was the art guy. Yeah, he was. He came up with all the characters and invented all the story and everything. And the logo, the infamous logo. Yes, yes. <laughs> and he, what did I used to call him? He used to... He used to think he, he said he was a pimp because he looked like a pimp. <laughs> he had this little he tiny little mustache. <laughs> Not what you would... Like, you think of an artist in San Francisco working on websites, you know, hipster type. This, this dude looked like he should have been out back running his bitches. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that's that's pretty much Mike and I met way back in the punk rock days. So Mr. Video Game Guy and like I said, when you, if you want to talk about pinball, he's got what seventeen in the basement. Eighteen. Eighteen pinball Soon to machines. Because <laughs> my dad has one that he no longer wants, and I'm gonna have to find a way to get up to Michigan and haul it down here. <laughs> and I'm surrounded by eight thousand, literally eight thousand records right now. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's something we're gonna have to get into. We're gonna have to talk about these records for sure. Oh yeah, it's it's, uh, it's taking over the house. It's like. We're sitting in my living room, which has records in it because the room attached to it is overflowing with them. I have to ask, are you married? No, but... Uh, okay, that's, that's why you're allowed to have that many records. <laughs> well, I'm, good. I'm actually... I've been with the same girl now for about, for about six years, and I'm getting ready to buy her a ring. We've talked about getting married. And she's already said, you know you're going to have to move those things into another room. Yeah, yeah, you're going to have to. She's it's like, a trade-off, man. Yeah, if she wants... She's like, that. She's like your record room is really the dining room, and that's what it's going to be when I move in there. <laughs> We're going to dine on music. Yeah. <laughs> So I'll have to squeeze all these things into one of the bedrooms upstairs. <laughs> oh. Okay, yeah, we'll we'll talk a little bit more when we get back. It's yeah. uh, I that uh, I know you've got to refill your Jameson, and uh, I have to get rid of my last beer. So time to go. <laughs> all right, little breaky. All right. All right, who's this asshole? All right, so now we're actually going to do the guest segment with Mr. Vinicor here. So. You, you said you moved into game design, and are you still doing game design? I am or? not. I, uh, it's kind of a long, involved story how I got to where I am now, <laughs> which is, you know, the bottom of the ladder <laughs> again. But I've, I've, sort of, I've sort of regressed back to entry-level uh, business because, well, the gaming industry is extremely volatile. So I've worked at almost every game studio in the Chicagoland area in the last, basically from the year 2000 until 2009. Right, and then um, because the gaming industry is so volatile, and I'm no longer <laughs> who were who were some of the big players over there. Um, I worked at uh, Williams Valley Midway, then I worked for Studio Gigante, and then I worked for High Voltage Software, and then I worked for Robomoto. Which, oh, okay. and then um, Robomoto did the Tony, the yeah, ill-fated Tony, Tony Hawk, Tony Hawk game. ride game. That was the one that came with the skateboard controller that you stood on. You know, <laughs> that was during the time when all the rock band stuff was huge, and so peripherals were in. 
Yeah. And it, um, it was a good-looking game, but it was not a good-playing game. And I'm not ashamed to admit that some of the games I worked on didn't turn out to be as fun as they could have been. <laughs> but it wasn't my fault. So. <laughs> but anyway, because I'm an old man now and, and uh, kind of jaded, like I'm a grumpy old geek on the gaming side, basically. I was unwilling to relocate for a video game job that if I was lucky, I would keep for two years. So yeah. I wasn't about to uproot my life, and my free time was far more important to me. So I've kind of spent the last couple of years bouncing between contract gigs of varying degrees and unemployment. <laughs> so, uh, join the, welcome to the club. Yeah. <laughs> welcome to the but club. Now, ironically, I do have a full-time job doing tech support for an arcade game company. So my, my gaming... A career has kind of gone full circle because now I'm back in CoinOp, which is a nearly extinct business model. And yeah, I was, a, I was about to ask, what does exactly that mean? Tech support for okay, I work for a company called Play Mechanics, and their big flagship title is the Big Buck Hunter games. You perhaps you, you spend a lot of time at bars, that's, Brian. The, yeah, that's when you grab like the fake shotgun and you shoot some deer. Exactly. Yeah, that's and I don't mean. understand any of that at all whatsoever. <laughs> having grown up in Southern California, it's a yeah. huge thing, especially in the Midwest. That's actually a very popular and uh, big selling and big earning game, especially out here in the Midwest. Yeah, I know you haven't right. seen a deer, Brian, but just think of him like as a big friendly Doberman that's tasty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> with horns well, on its I'm head. A, I, no, I've actually that game is at Sunny McLean's, which. Is the Boston bar over here in in uh, Santa Monica? So I, I've played that game before. Yeah. So that game, like the current model, which is Big Buck HD, it's an online game, and so a lot of these operator guys are far older than us, you know, and so they need help getting their games online. And you know, I basically just have to answer questions and sometimes you know run some scripts and stuff to fix their games or fix things in the database for them, or just nope. talk them through setting up their game and connecting it. <laughs> so anyway, the, the full circle part was I'm back in CoinOp, which is now a fraction of what it was in the 90s. And then um, I'm my boss, who is the owner of the company, was the guy that was the lead programmer on that Aerosmith game that Jason and I tested in 1994. Nice. So my original boss, in a way, is <laughs> now my boss again. You know, <laughs> um, talk about, talk about. years later. Yeah, talk about sideways mobility. Yeah, so <laughs> I have fallen all the way back. I reached the top and I worked on some A-list game and then I've fallen all the way back to the beginning. Oh, man. But the so, upside is um, because I'm old and my free time is more valuable to me than living at a, a place I work at, it's nice because I work you know, a standard straight 40 hours the exact same five days a week like clockwork and it's only a 15-minute commute. So the good far outweighs the bad. Because, yeah, that was the problem with the game industry back then. It was a sweatshop. The, yeah, I the mean, video it's, game it's industry, a... especially on the console end, it's it's really a white-collar sweatshop. Like, they don't advertise that, you know, when they're trying to talk you into joining the industry. But it really is, if any kind of industry besides pro wrestling needed a union, it's <laughs> it's the video game business. Because employees are treated horribly, and then it's such a volatile thing that you work your ass off for two years and your reward is being unemployed. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I mean, if a game doesn't get re-upped or you know get a sequel, then it's it's a one and done type of thing. Totally. And, and I've had the unfortunate luck to work at two studios where basically they cut people or went out of business because the publisher decided, for whatever reason, not to keep us on for a sequel or like we fucked up the schedule too bad and we're too late. And they're just like, we're done. With, <laughs> we're done with you guys. We're going to give this to somebody else. 
But well, that's it, a, that's a really interesting thing about about. I mean, a lot of these new industries that have come out is there's no there's no support, there's no job security. I mean, uh, a really good friend of mine from high school who never did shit, but was really good at doing art, ended up in starting doing video game stuff. He, he worked for Activision. He worked for fucking all those guys. Um, but it was always like he had to actually move companies to to move ahead and if if anything was cut off he was cut off no job anymore so he always had to fucking move sideways and it's a kind of a weird thing about the world that we live in now especially you know all of us we're skilled we know what we're doing but there's no support for us yeah it's it's a very nomadic lifestyle it is yeah it, it is i had a friend that worked with me at uh at studio Hagante. that was where we did that fighting game he um, when that place closed, he moved to one place in like in another state for two years. Lost that job. Then he packed up and moved to New York, and he got this job, rented an apartment. He was there for six days, and then the project got canceled, and he was out in, uh, out in the streets. And they're like, "Sorry." So he had to like break his lease. He lost all this money moving, and then he had to go scramble to find another job. And now he's up in Canada working, and he has kids that live in Florida. And he gets to see wow. a couple times a year. He basically has a Skype relationship with his children because you know he's divorced, but he he still is young enough where he thinks he still wants to work in the game industry, and somehow it's worth it to him, Ugh. even though he is basically a full continent away from his own children. Well, I actually find this fascinating because uh, people throw out the gaming industry as being like the true industry that is actually making crazy money and will survive through the new industry. Movies are down. Music is down. Books are down. Gaming is doing great. And you're telling me gaming is not doing great. Well, it's not that it's not doing great. It's, it is volatile, and they're, but they are still making a lot of money. But it's yeah. kind of like the real world where just a small percentage are the ones that are really enjoying those riches. And that small percentage is the CEOs of the big publishers like your Activisions. The, uh, the guys like me who worked for smaller studios that are employed by, by an Activision to make these games, we're living, you know, we're the one making the games and it's in like almost sweatshop-like conditions. And, right. then, and then we don't reap the benefits. We just get a straight salary. And maybe if you're lucky, they'll actually give you a copy of your game that you worked on when it's over. But not if they let you go as soon as it's done, because then they just forget to give you your game. But, <laughs> oh, I, I sense yeah. a little. Uh, yeah, little. So I still don't have a copy of the Tony Hawk game I worked on, even though I worked on it from start to finish. Well, see, Jason, it's again and again, it's more siren servers. It's it's the money goes straight up top. Even in this new media model where everybody's supposed to be doing great, we aren't. Well, this is not new. I mean, I just I was no, it's I, not no, here. New, but, but no, I was I was riding around Pennsylvania with my mom the other day. Yes, I know. Um, and we were looking at all these big houses <laughs> like overlooking you do. the river. Yeah, and, uh, big houses overlooking the river, and we're talking about robber barons because Pennsylvania is like where Carnegie's from. You know, some of the original yeah. iron and coal robber barons, and it's the same damn thing. It's just a new new face on it. So this is nothing new. People making money off. The, the labor of others is what capitalism is all about. <laughs> See, the, the industry is flawed by design in the way that, you know, these smaller studios like I've worked at for, you know, 10 plus years, they all compete for these big publishers money to say, hey, sign us up to make your game for you. And right. they, so they will basically overpromise uh, what they can deliver in, in an unrealistic amount of time. And instead of being honest and saying, OK, well, with 
45 people, this is how much time we need to make the game correctly or to get it done. Instead, they'll be like, oh, sure, we could do that in a year and a half, and we'll even write our own engine, and that's just totally unrealistic. And instead of trying to redo the schedule realistically, you know, everybody's too scared to speak honestly to the publisher because they don't want to get dropped. So they expect the employees to just, like, live at work. They're like, hey, you work 12 hours a day, six days a week for two years to get this right. done because that's what we got to do to get this done. Yep. And, yep. It, and it's bullshit because you don't get paid overtime. It's, you know, it's that exempt thing that... um that the tech industry gets where they don't have to pay salaried employees overtime if they work over 40 hours a week and they don't even have to give you comp time and they usually don't. Maybe you get like three days off when your project's done, but that's after over a year and a half to two years of giving up your entire personal life for this stupid game. Yeah. And did you, and if the game does well, do you get a bonus? No, it depends on how well, the, well aren't you, aren't you generally let go at the end of the game? Well, it depends. See, the, in the, the all earlier years, like in the 90s, there was like, in CoinOp, there was royalties for everybody that worked on a project. In fact, I, as a game tester, got a couple of royalty checks for games that did excessively well at, at Midway. And it wasn't a giant amount of money, but, you know, for a guy in his 20s, getting a few extra grand in a paycheck, you know, as a bonus check was awesome. But in the... I'm no, no, no. I mean, you can't look at it that way. You actually have to go, I worked really hard on this project. Even as a guy in my 30s and 40s, why am I not getting a piece of the pie? Oh, I, I totally agree, and so everybody. But unfortunately, like the smaller studios don't have the kind of leverage to get that kind of deal. Like they're basically saying, we, you know, we just want to make a project to keep this company going. And then the only people that see extra money is not the people that made it. It's the publisher gets all those reaps those rewards. Right, because basically yep. every studio pitches to it's you know you get a bunch of people together. It's like making a TV show. You have a production company, and exactly. then you've got the studio. Yep. And yeah, so, so the you make it. Studio gets their money. You know, like they get like at every milestone, the, the publisher cuts us a check for whatever this agreed upon deal was, and that's how they used to pay our our paychecks, pay for our insurance, buy our equipment. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. And if the game sold a million or ten million copies, we didn't see an extra dime. Maybe that means they give us a sequel. So the one thing that gets me now is since everybody is like, you know, yeah, there's still the console business. You know, you've got your PS3 and your Xbox, and the new new versions are coming out of those. There's a huge growth in mobile now. Like, you know, iPhone games, iPad games, and I'm not even going to say Android because nobody buys that shit. Um, <laughs> but have you do you have friends who are working on those types of games? I mean, because it doesn't seem like it takes that big of a machine to make an iPhone game as it does to make a console game. I, I know somebody I wasn't super friendly with them, but, you know, one of my fellow co-workers from Robomoto, I just got through his Facebook, sent me a little link to this. He just did a mobile game for children. And he, he did it on like a really small little team, which is a mm -hmm. couple of guys. So the overhead is definitely smaller for, to making these apps. And there some of them could be hugely successful. But it's already at the point where the market is so saturated that it's really like hitting the lottery if you got like a hit game or a hit app. Because, you know, there's thousands of apps coming out every day. And there's really yeah, I mean that's the thing. How do you how do you actually get attention anymore? It's so crazy. Well, I mean, quality still bubbles to the top. If you look at a game like Tiny Wings, which was literally like one guy who sat around and made it and made a couple million dollars off of it, you know, it's 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 definitely when you because I, I play a lot. I, obviously, I play a lot of games on my phone. Unlike Mister One Hit Wonder Plants vs Zombies over there. Yeah, see, uh, I'm the wrong person to be talking about this because uh, I played Spy Hunter as a console game or coin op game and uh then i played 
Plants vs. Zombies about 20 years later. And that's about <laughs> it for me for games. So uh, <laughs> he totally distracted because <laughs> now I'm thinking of Spy Hunter. Mike, Mike and I also used to... Great game, right? It was yeah. a very good game. Yeah, Mike and I used to work in an arcade, a coin-op arcade together, and there was a Spy Hunter there, so <laughs> kind of threw me off. Actually, but, I really want to hear Mike talk about the coin-op industry, because like, apparently it still exists, which is amazing. It does. It's very small. Like I spent basically my entire life around video games, even before they were invented, because I'm a little bit older than you guys by a couple of years. And uh, my dad used to take me to this arcade at the end of the street, which Jason and I both ended up working at when we were in our early 20s. And when I first went there, it was all pinball. And I got to see, like, you know, Pong in these first video games. And I was just completely fascinated by them growing up. And I spent almost every day after school and all day Saturday over at that arcade growing up, especially what's from about sixth grade on. <laughs> and um, a funny little story is what they, they used to be a test site for the different coin-op companies. And one time, this representative from Gottlieb came, and she was asking me all kinds of questions about their test games. And I'm like 13 years old at this point. And I'm telling her everything I liked and didn't like about the game. And I really knew a lot about their games because I played for free all day because my cousin worked there. And uh, she said, just as an assistant, she goes, you know, when you get a few years older, you should totally come to work like at a video game company. You'd be good at it. And I'm the 13-year-old <laughs> and me just get these big eyes like, wow, that would be so <laughs> neat. And it was, nothing, it was never anything I pursued. And it was just really odd that, you know, about 10 years later, I just happened to fall into that by accident. <laughs> right. So, um, but there is still a coin-op industry. It is very, very small. And it, it really amazes me that anybody can make money in it on an operator. And because, you know, these guys that buy these machines and put them in the bars, they split the cash box with the location. And for what they cost, it takes months to get a return on your investment before you actually start turning a profit out of these things. Right. Do do any companies still actually make coin-op games, like yeah. new ones? Yeah, the one I work for, which is Play Mechanics, they're, okay. o- they're owned by Raw Thrills, which was started and owned and is currently still owned by the guy that made Defender and Robotron. Oh, I love Defender. Yeah, so his name is Eugene Jarvis. He's basically the grandfather of video games. Uh, the guy's a genius when it comes to game design, even still, you know, 30-some-odd years later. The guy, just he just has it. He knows what's fun. And you know, he's a, he's just an amazing designer. He he's he's the parent company for the one I work for. They make they're basically the two largest coin op manufacturers still left in the world. There's a couple other ones that on a little smaller scale, but these are basically the two most successful. And it's a very small market compared to how it was about 20 years ago when I got in it. And right. cer- it's certainly infinitely smaller than it was in the 80s. But, oh, definitely. I mean, I used to hang out at Disneyland, and my favorite place to go was they had an entire fucking arcade. Like, there were 300 to 400 different games there, and I would go there every day and just, like, drop coins in and play. It was amazing. Yeah, I mean, new stuff used to come out, like, you know, weekly back in those days. And now, yeah. now, yeah. now basically, the coin-op market is it's, it's very limited in the type of games that will make money. Because you basically have to make something that they can't easily do at home. So that's driving games, and that's shooting games, and then that's those ticket games, you know, the redemption things, which is basically kitty gambling. Like ski you know? ball. Like <laughs> ski ball. But it's like they got nicer ones than that. But 
games that dispense right. tickets that people can use to buy really but, ex- expensive you know trinkets. But isn't that what the whole like uh, what was that Microsoft thing that came out? Which Connect? the motor, yeah, the Connect wasn't that supposed to take care of that because it's total motion sensor. You don't even need to have a fake shotgun. You can just place your hands up. I'm, I'm doing it right now. You can't see, and and there you go. You're Thank done. God. Right? Yeah, but that's that's that, that's fun. But I look good, Jason. It, Shut up. It doesn't really replace the the physicalness, you know, the physicality of holding an actual replica gun in your hand. Yeah, you want the or, tactile sensation, yeah, the exactly feedback, that, you know, the tactile, the tactile feedback of holding right, the kickback. Yep, yeah. the vibration and like the kickback of the gun, or holding that, sitting down and and steering, pressing with a, a pedal, pedal. Yeah, yeah. So that's why basically all they pretty much make are shooting games and driving games for the coin operator. What about here. dancing games? They still do the dance dance They're revolution not, they, stuff. I think they still make those, but not a, that's not as big as only in Japan. Yeah, yeah much that seemed to kind of go away. It's like a Japanese thing. I mean, the only thing that I can actually see anymore for that kind of market is like a Busters or whatever. What the oh, Dave, Dave and Busters, yeah. Yeah, Dave and Busters kind of thing where you just like, you go out with your friends and you get drunk and you play video games. That, that's pretty much exactly it. There's not the, the classic arcade is almost completely extinct. There's a few here and there, but it's not like it was. It's, it's pretty rare to find an old school style arcade. But the, yeah. but the Dave and Buster's and the game works still thrive because they're restaurants and bars that happen to have a lot of games and that those two things seem to go well together. Now on the Dave and Buster's, can you just buy a pass and just go and play, or do you have to still put coins in them? No, they have those swipe cards now. Oh, and okay. The, the the catch with those is like there's not a one to one ratio of credits to dollars or credits to coins. So really, like you're paying about two two and a half bucks a game on a game that's a dollar because you don't really know what a point is. It's uh, like no. You put that is one thing I noticed is like arcade games are incredibly expensive now. All of all of the games for the companies I work <laughs> I work for, they all sh- they you remember games used to be a quarter when we were kids. They're, yeah, they come out of the box set at a dollar a play. Wow, those wow. golden tee golf games are like five dollars for nine holes or eighteen holes or something like that. My dad sells art to the guy that invented that. Oh yeah, they're out in uh, they're about a half hour north of me. Yeah, that guy has like. Million dollar apartments in every city in the world. That guy's so loaded. In the night, in the mid to late night, the mid nineties to like early two thousand, that was the Pac Man of the of that that decade, and that thing sold the gangbusters. It was the number one game for like ten years. Yeah, definitely. Oh wow. So, but there is like these, um, like barcades are becoming a thing in major cities now. They're going to open one up in L.A. I heard that they're building right now. But, oh really? Yeah, so they're basically bars that have like a selection of classic arcade games and some pinball machines, and the the you know some of them put them on free play, and you basically can play for free while you buy expensive beer. See, that's what I was beers. thinking. I thought that would be a great idea. Yeah. Just get an arcade and just set everything for free and have a, a Here price in of admission. Chicago, or... We have three barcades. I haven't been to any of them yet, but I have friends that have been there, and one of them everything's only a. A quarter, mm-hmm. even brand new games, because the beers are kind of pricey. Yeah, but they also yeah. have a nice selection of beers. So if you're a beer connoisseur, um, that's a place to go hang out because they've got this massive beer menu, and then you can play these games right there. And another one, everything's on free play, and they just make their money off the drinks. Yeah, that's a that's a great. I was just gonna. That was my my go-to idea but apparently i'm yeah late and slow a couple and... years too late but it's, it's <laughs> well, no, you're, you're not you're not that late because you can actually open that up in other places but i mean that's a genius idea you have all the games basically cheap and then you do the craft beer thing and you do the bullshit like uh vapor smoke instead because that's a huge thing right now and then you just let kids in and you have a fucking couple like 
I'd love. I would sit and play a Galaga machine for fucking hours with good craft beers. Oh yeah, yeah and that's what they're doing here. And they- I just read an article just this week. Somebody linked it to me on uh, through my Facebook page where they're building one in Los Angeles. So, so. Now, now, Brian, you'll be able to go check that out. Yeah, yeah. Let me know about that one. I'll I'll definitely go. Uh, so, speaking of coin up and beer, remember Duds and Suds? No. Oh yeah. It, it, yeah. Was, it was one over in Lyle. It 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 was it was a half laundromat, half bar. I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So you could go do your laundry and get drunk and at the same the time, and then yeah. dr- drive home with clean clothes and get a DUI. <laughs> in in college, I thought that was my genius idea that nobody would have come up with before, but of course it existed. But uh, yeah, when I was drunk all the time in college, I was like, we need to open up a laundry machine that serves beer. <laughs> the only other arcade business model that seems to work, there's one about 15 minutes east of me. It's about halfway between my house and the and actual Chicago. Is uh, this place called Galloping Ghost? And instead of you paying for your games, you just pay for a day's admission. It's 15 bucks for the day. You can come and go all you want. And every game is set to free play. And they've got 300 something games in this. It's a huge space. So instead of making their money, you know, a quarter at a time, they're just making enough people paying the admission. And they seem to be doing really well. So do they have a limit, though? That's what I was wondering about. Like, if I want to go and just play Mortal Kombat all day, yeah. you know, because in the old days, you used to put your quarter up. Yeah. So that was next game. How does that work when it's, like, all free play and you just want to go monopolize a game? Do they have, like, some kind of system to it's kick people really, out? It, no, it's really just, like, you could have a guy or a kid that just will keep it and start over and over again and completely oblivious to you standing behind and waiting for a turn. And then you turn off the power and then the guy yeah. pulls a gun on you and you yes. have to get so it's really like you just have to leave it up to people that have good etiquette that look behind them and say, oh, you're waiting to play? Okay, you're here. Now it's your turn. And, and just a little backstory. Jason that, needs food now. No, no, no. When, when, Does anybody get that reference? Yeah, from uh, Gauntlet. Warriors yes! need food badly. Oh. <laughs> Sweet. I will actually say things like that while I'm hungry because I'm, I'm that much of a game nerd. So. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> totally blew my story, but that, that's okay. <laughs> Sorry, man. I, I was no. so happy that I actually had a game reference. <laughs> <laughs> oh, when, when Mike and I worked at the arcade one time, there was this dude who kept like hitting start over and over again. And at the time, my girlfriend, we taught her where the power button was, and she just nonchalantly, uh, as they say, recycled the power on the machine. And he 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 fucking hit her. He, was he, I there that day? I don't remember Dude, this at all. We called the, no, we called the cops. Okay, boys. Reel it back in. So, where were we? We were talking about video games and the history of the coin-op and all that shit. But yeah, yeah, I want to talk about the punk rock collection. Yeah, that's what I'm getting to here. Because Mike and I met at punk rock shows. He was, he was always the cool guy in the back because he was older than me and I never got to talk to him because he was into Skinny Puppy and I thought he was scary. Skinny Puppy's so I never, awesome. I never talked to him. That is my favorite and band in the entire world. By, by the way, I totally relate to what Jason was saying because I was, um, I'm was i not quite as old as you are, perhaps. Uh-huh. Uh, and when I was hanging... <laughs> People are. Yeah. When I was hanging out at Disneyland and uh, like I had my Robert Smith or, or my Depeche Mode crazy little background on my leather jacket and I saw the kids with the Skinny Puppy leather jacket, they were a little bit older, I was scared of them. But I love Skinny Puppy. That's the greatest band in the entire world, at oh, least in my mind. It's yeah. fucking great stuff, man. You and I totally agree on that. I love Skinny Puppy. It was years years and years and years later, because I'd never really listened to Skinny Puppy, but 
we actually went to a skinny puppy. Mike Mike took me to a skinny puppy show in L.A. Oh, that's right. At the when Peter Fonda. Yeah. At the, I was at that show. You I were? Went all, I, went oh, I went to every there. show in L.A. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were there. When worlds collide. Yeah. And I took Bob to see Bob and Stacy, and I went to go see him the two nights later in Anaheim on that same tour. Yes, yeah, so Bob would be. I also uh, went to the Anaheim artist. show. Yeah. Oh, geez. Oh, you guys could date now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you ever saw Skinny Puppy in the 90s, Brian, like when they toured for Last Rites, but I have some of those oh, yeah, stage yeah. props. I have some of those stage props from that tour in my house. <laughs> Many of them. Awesome, man. Um, I, my friend it, Tim used to make all their stuff for their stage that one? Yeah, there's one. Uh, we're staring at one right now. Yeah, Tim Gore, who is a master special effects guy. Or, or what do you call prosthetics, puppetry, well, yeah, whatever? Yeah, like special effects artists. And, uh, let, me, mixed- let me drop in really quickly. For, he, made, for, he, made, he made the spikes for Buffy, all right. which was, i, I got to say, awesome. Yeah. All right, let me, let me just drop in for a second because I, I do this in our podcast. Uh, if you don't know what Skinny Puppy is, it was an industrial band, and uh, they were very well known for doing very crazy special effects stuff for all their videos, very gory, eh, whatever. You know, but great music, amazing band, and uh, you got to check them out. Okay, so uh, we're—it's just me and you right now because apparently the dog has to go pee. So uh, it's—it's it's just me and you right now, Brian. Okay, you know, well we can talk. To, we can talk some, alone. You want to want to stick some tech stuff in here really quick? From uh, well, here, real quick. Tell me about—you you got to read David and Goliath finally, right? Uh, I'm 99% through. I didn't get to finish because we obviously are doing the podcast a little bit earlier. I liked it, you but like I it? thought this is the weakest of his books, and I think there's some bullshit going on. Really? Why? Well, I love the historical story. I love how he ran through how David was actually not the underdog, and Goliath actually was. Right, but, that's what I said in, in our last episode, that he kind of debunked the whole David exactly. and Goliath story. Exactly, and I, as soon as I read that, I was like, oh my god, this is the best thing I've ever read. This is fantastic. When he got to the chapter about how people that who are dyslexic may have an advantage, he started to lose me. Really? Why? Because that's bullshit. I don't, I don't think so I- at all. They don't have that much of an advantage. The entire point is these are people that actually ha- are forced to pay more attention. But well, yeah, it's how it's how a it's how a handicap can become an asset. I mean, it's you know it's. Flipping power on its head. Yeah, but going so ahead. these people have a handicap, which most people think is a handicap, but they turn it on its head and make it an advantage in how they can be better at their business. I don't see how that's different from. But that's point zero 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 five percent of people that are able to do that. Right. Well, this isn't like a self help book. This is a storybook. Well, I know, you know, but I felt a little bit weird about that entire chapter when he was going off about chapter, chap, chapter, <laughs> chapter. Sorry. What the hell's a chapter? A chapter. You got you got, you got assless chapters. <laughs> it just it didn't sit right with me, and I I, okay. I don't think that this book is as well researched, as well documented, as well straightforward as the rest of them. Okay. I still, I, I don't dislike it's, it's, it. It's your opinion. Yeah, it's yeah. wrong, but that's okay. No, that's fine. You can tell me. <laughs> I, I always tell you your opinion's wrong. You there? Yeah. Would you turn that damn thing off already? So I believe you guys have somebody in common. Mr. Billy Corgan from the Smooshy Pumpkins. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I worked with him. And I work with him currently because I work for his wrestling company. 
He has a wrestling company now. Yeah, see, see, this is the weird thing of how all my interests growing up have intertwined. Um, I worked once. Well, I work as I one of my part time gigs. I'm a photographer. I shoot a lot of concerts. He's my, he's my, he's my student. Yeah, actually, <laughs> Jason was the one that got me going in photography, and it's all his fault that now I do what I do. <laughs> but um, from shooting concerts, um, uh, that you know that got me good at taking pictures. And then I right. worked on a WWE wrestling game. That's one of the games I designed. And I had a friend in the business who worked for the WWE. So when Billy Corgan started his wrestling federation, he hooked me up with Billy and the two brothers that started this company to, to like and told them, hey, you should have him be your photographer. And right. and so that's what they did. They have they brought me in and they, now I'm their, their in-ring photographer. So I've worked with him now for just we're just about to reach our two year anniversary next month. Holy shit. Wow. Wow. It's been That's a lot of awesome. it's been a lot of fun and uh it's kind of funny cuz you know it's like in the early 80s remember the rock and wrestling connection with Cindy Lauper and the WWF. Oh yeah. And now <laughs> it's, now it's kind of like I'm working for the modern rock and wrestling connection cuz <laughs> Billy Corgan is the creative director of this company, you know, and we do a wrestling show every month in the Chicago area. That's pretty crazy, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I got next to nothing because I have no interest in wrestling whatsoever. Um, but it's crazy that Billy Corgan does. <laughs> it, you know, he he um, was a huge wrestling fan growing up, just like I was. And uh, the the few times I've actually got to sit down and talk to him at these shows when he's not running around doing a million things, like we share, we kind of share the same interests of like the we grew up on the exact same era of wrestling. So um, the dude loves the business, and yo. Know, he comes up with all the angles for this wrestling company, and you know he's really—he's actually really good at it. He's got a good mind for the business. You could tell, like, that he truly loves what he's doing. And you know, yeah, nobody's getting rich off of indi- like indie. Wrestling. I was gonna say he's—he's he's he's apparently not—not not hurting. It's so. a small company that we're trying to grow, but uh, it's really—it's really a lot of fun, and he's actually very good at it. <laughs> so he so he's given up music for wrestling. No, no, he's still the Smashing Pumpkins. No, no, still no, band. He's not, still yeah. no, no. Okay, yeah, because he'll miss shows because he's on tour. Oh, okay. Otherwise, he's in every single one of our shows, and if not, he you know he emails in the stuff, <laughs> and he well because he's out on tour. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, that's cool that it's he still, has a different. He has hobbies. Yeah, <laughs> were, I mean, you it's know? really you know it's kind of a hobby for him. He's not making any money off this thing yet. You know, yeah. So. It's uh Does anybody make money off wrestling anymore? Well Vince McMahon. Well I didn't even know if he would anymore. (laughs) Yeah, they still somehow make money, you know. They sell the toys and the pay per views and Uh, all the the merchandise. Right. The 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 big names in wrestling make as much money as the big names in music and everybody else gets fucked. That's the way it works. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's very the very similar businesses, you know. It's just two different forms of entertainment. Yeah, it's entertainment. So End of the day. I mean, the only... Uh, I, I have a one good story about that, which is I was I remember sitting around, and this is ages ago. It's got to be... I mean, this is before Smashing Pumpkins ever broke up, and they were still the original band. I was sitting around with Alanis' manager, Alanis Morissette, and we were sitting there, and we were looking at Billy Cor- or the Smashing Pumpkins' new website, and she was like, yeah... I, I don't want to do what he's doing, but he's always going to be in there somewhere. And he still is. So he's found a way to find wrestling. Alanis has found her way to find whatever the fuck she's doing now, which is apparently <laughs> like, you know, life coach. 
so whatever. She, so she's no longer a client? No, no. I still work with Lannis. Okay. Well, wasn't she on yeah, weeds, no. too? She, she was great on acting. weeds. She did a good job She was on great yeah, on yeah. weeds. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's doing acting now, and she's trying to be like a basically like, you know, life guru thing. I think that's where she's heading next, and which is great because, you know, I can totally work that on the web stuff. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I deal with some pickup guys on the web. They're some of my clients, so maybe we can do a do a deal because it's all you know, <laughs> it's all kind of intertwined in the selling of services. <laughs> yeah, it's a crazy world. All of us at our age, with everything that we've seen, you know, <laughs> I, I think we're a bit jaded, but we also kind of get it. I mean, we've all been there. Like we've all gone through all of this. We've seen these people rise and fall and rise again. It's a weird okay. thing. Real quick, I, I do want to bring in one final news story because we didn't get to really. Oh yeah, news. we talked no news at all this time. Okay, yes. so the article that came out about the found the foundation of Twitter, the founding story of Twitter. Did you read this article? It was seven pages, and I read through it all. Yes. Yeah, it was. Talk about a fucking barn burner. That was. I mean, Jack Dorsey needs to, I mean, I'm sure he's really not very happy with this. It paints Jack Dorsey, who has been going out on, I think I saw him on 60 Minutes. He did a whole series on 60 Minutes about how he created Twitter and what the Mm -hmm. impetus was and how, and this, you know, oh, I love to watch ambulances and figure out where people were going and all this. And it all turns out to be complete and utter bullshit. Yeah, it's all bullshit. I could not believe it. And now, um... This book that's coming out, it's uh, called Hatching Twitter. Because, I mean, I, I, I've known Evan Williams, the other co-founder of, of Twitter. I knew him yeah. when he was doing Odeo. And I knew him before that when he was in Blogger. And, uh, you know, his part of it rings perfectly true. You know, he doesn't, he's not a quick mover and all this stuff. But then to hear this old Jack Dorsey, like, angle. And, I mean, tell me the guy just doesn't look shady to begin with. You've seen pictures of him, right? I have not. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, this dude, he's a skinny little dude. Apparently, he was a little punk when he came there. He had a lip piercing and punky, spiky hair, which is, you know, whatever. Okay. whatever. But Jason, this is the best article Jason, I've read in a long time. Jason, turn over and look at Mike. Yes. Tell me how he looks. He's got spiky hair. And he looks a little shady. <laughs> I, just, uh, I, just, I just don't have the facial piercings. I just have the spiky hair. Yeah. And Jason, what do I look like? You you have spiky hair and are pretty fucking shady See, too. Enough, Ryan and I should be suspect of you because you don't have the spiky hair. It's because I don't have any fucking hair. <laughs> I'm old and fat, and I got no I'm, hair. I'm just saying, man, that you shouldn't uh, shouldn't base things on that. Hey, okay. On the subject of Twitter, and since you guys are the the grumpy old geeks and you know way more than me, do you find? I suspect that my Twitter feed on my iPhone is not showing me all the tweets of the people I follow. Have you guys noticed that? Well, I don't follow Twitter on my phone. I I find Twitter to be so much noise, it doesn't even matter. Like, I barely follow anybody anyways, but the people that I follow tweet incessantly. It's a fucking waste of time. It is a fucking waste of time. (laughs) For the number of people I follow, like, if I don't check that thing for, like, two days, I'll have maybe three dozen tweets total. And for the amount of people I'm following, there's no no, way it's showing me. If I don't don't check it every 20 minutes, I'm not fucking seeing everything. Well, here's the deal. I'm going to tell you exactly why that's happening. I won't check it every 20 minutes. Shut up, damn it. I'm going to tell them why it's it's broken. 
Why is it broken? <laughs> because there are API limits, and every client that you use to check Twitter uses the API, and there's only 200 requests per hour. So if you go back X amount of time, you're yeah. only get you can only go back so far before it segments, and then you have to wait another hour to get more. I'm just using juice. the Twitter app for the iPhone. Does you, that you, you, follow by the same rules? Probably does. See, that's bullshit. It, to me, it, it's giving me the same effect as <laughs> like if I leave Facebook on the default, like what it thinks I want to see and not yeah. the most recent. Yeah. That's what I feel I'm getting with my Twitter experience on the iPhone. I know that they're not showing me everything. Well, it very well could be because everybody well, wants to show really you what they want you to see. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, here's the deal. You're not missing anything because <laughs> nothing that happens on Twitter is important. I guess that's <laughs> true. It's, it's not anymore. Twitter is dead. I mean, there was the whole, like, fucking uh, belief that for a while that Twitter was, like, fucking starting revolutions in countries. Twitter is fucking useless. Well, it's a I'm communication so medium. Sick of it. No, it's a communication medium for people. I mean, that's what it was good for. In Austin, the year that it broke, it was good for figuring out where the party was. That's what it's good for. If you're having yeah. a rev- revolution, it's good for figuring out where the bombing is, you know, or where not to go, or where, who's, who's, we're going to storm the palace, you know, <laughs> got to figure out what palace to storm. Uh, it's good for communication between a group in real time in 140 characters or less. It's not yeah. prose, it's not poetry, it's bullshit for everything besides little bits of shit that you need to tell a bunch of people that they don't need to know for the most part. I mostly just use it like when I update my website, like I, I post a thing on there with a link to the new story I wrote or the new photos I posted. Okay, well, that's the one of the most useless and annoying uses of Twitter. Yeah, but, you exactly. Know. Because as soon as you start to follow over, say, 200 people, yeah, that's it. Yeah. It's, it. It's lost. It's gone. Yeah. Nobody will ever see it. And well, that's the we talked about this like ten episodes ago. Twitter, Google Plus, they're all broadcast mediums. They're not consumption mediums. Everybody's talking, but nobody's listening. I exactly. haven't used that Google Plus since like a month after it came out. It's completely useless to me. I got, I check it. I've got ten thousand followers on there, and you know what? I I put something out. Nobody reads it, and Facebook's the same way now with the fucking newsfeed. Nobody reads anything I post, so. You know what? I'm just going to go sit in the corner and rub one out, and then I'll at least get some fucking engagement out of it. The most the most action I get on my Facebook stuff is when I post pictures of my dog. Like, anything exactly. else I write doesn't get nearly the amount of likes or comments as when I post a picture of the dog. Yeah. And and, and this is why I'm starting to be more and more and more about real-world interaction. And speaking of which, I have to go pick up my wife and have oh, some yeah. real-world interaction. <laughs> <laughs> when you when you kept saying that uh, you you had to like hang out with your wife, I thought you meant that she was in the room and she was yeah. nagging you. I didn't know you had to go get her from somewhere. <laughs> no, so no, that's... she's sitting at she's sitting at Universal Music right now, waiting for me. So so Brian needs to actually go have some interaction, or he won't get any interaction. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and she'll be really pissed and, off, at me and he'll be just like me in the corner, rubbing one out by himself. So you know, tw- Twitter never really gets mad at you. Real real life wives. Yeah, they do. Okay, go pick up your woman. Okay. Get some, and we'll talk to you next week. Really nice. Really. (laughs) Wait, real quick. Real quick. Nice to talk to you, Mike. Yes. Nice talking to you, too, Brian. Thanks for having me on, you guys. Before we we sign off, where can people find more about you, Mr. Vinicor? You can find me at my website at punkvinyl.com. And on the subject of Twitter, I'm the punk vault. Uh, you know, or at the Punk Vault, however, however the kids describe their Twitter handles at this point. But Punk Vinyl at www.punkvinyl.com. That's where you can find all my stuff. 
And um, <laughs> I sold him that domain, by he the did. way. <laughs> I, Jason drank that domain. I, I paid him for it, and he drank the proceeds in one night at a mile marker show at, at the Empty Bottle. I really should have hung out with you guys more often. <laughs> Amazing. All right, man. Talk to you next week. All right. Next week, back to a regular episode. Thank you for listening to all of us. Uh, Mike, awesome to fucking talk with you. It was good time. Uh, Thanks for having me. Yeah. From now on, when you shit on me, I'll take it with more of a grain of salt because I actually like you now. Excellent. (laughs) Take it easy, brother. Keep up with the Grumpy Old Geeks on the web at grumpyoldgeeks.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash grumpyoldgeeks, or email them at podcast at grumpyoldgeeks.com. Have a good week. Okay, last one to kill a bad guy buys the beer. We're driving to Florida.